friends to everyone on the spectrum and in between welcome to another episode of the shutter show my name is ken stacking and this is my co-host david marlowe and david how you doing today ken i am fine and dandy like sarah candy as you would say um yeah it's uh it's it's been it's been a, a bit of a crazy day i've been running all over the place um like I said, I've been trying to get back into the act thing a little bit. So did a whole bunch of self submissions, got super depressed by a bunch of uh, posts that, you know, want you to do all this work for literally no money. And uh, yeah, that, that, that wheel continues to spin. And also at the same time, still interviewing for carpentry jobs. Well, there we go. So, yeah. It's been a, been a crazy day. Good to hear. I'm still settling in here in uh, Colorado and uh, making sure all the pups are getting along and uh, just getting things all set up. The, uh, yeah, just uh, just getting used to things again, I guess. Yeah. Ken, what's your beverage of choice today? Uh, I have a lovely blue moon, a nice little oh. Belgian blonde. Or oh. Belgian white, I'm sorry. Oh, that sounds so nice right now. What are you doing? Just be- because of the meal plan, I've got to avoid beer. So, you know, uh-huh. I'm doing my, my, my own little whiskey sour. So, you know, ah, I okay. still get some nice stuff. Okay, all right, good. But we, we did this meal plan. We bought a bunch of chicken to make for, like, two of the meals on it. And we open it today, and it is the most rotten thing that I've ever smelled. Oh wow! And so we're like, well, I guess, I, I guess we're gonna have to improvise on this one. But, or you know, I could just get horribly, horribly ill and just. But yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, that is one way to lose weight, David, is to just give yourself E. coli. Yeah, it is also like ninety-five degrees today here in California, and it's gonna be in over a hundred tomorrow. So you're gonna so... sun roast that chicken. Oh yeah, sun roast that chicken, but then also just sit out and just I'm gonna you know I hear it's healthy to literally sweat the weight off. So worked in the seventies. Yeah, worked in the seventies. Why not? It's what a bunch of wrestlers apparently do to get to the right weight. You are not wrong, David. Question: What movie are we talking about this week? Oh, Ken, we uh, we took a poll, and it was between The Wicker Man. And the OG, both of them OG, the OG Wicker Man and the OG Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And overwhelmingly, Texas Chainsaw Massacre won out. Um, not that Wicker Man is a bad film. I just think more people want to see people killed by chainsaws than they do um, a Burning Man reenactment. So, yeah, we're going Texas Chainsaw, baby. Oh, man. And, and, and to the fans out there who've never experienced texas chainsaw massacre we are talking about one of the all-time bangers like Mm -hmm. we are talking about one of the og classics we are talking about what i would argue is one of like the like probably two pillars of modern horror of the the yin and yang that that come together like we are oh man like re-watching texas chainsaw massacre i i was just reminded again and again just how awesome and how much of this movie just rules still to this day, how effective it is, how like, I, I think it's really interesting the way that Texas Chainsaw Massacre has kind of aged and has aged 
beautifully in a way that Halloween has not. Halloween was definitely like a bigger hit back in the day. It was definitely more of an impact when it came out. But if you want to talk about lasting legacy, man, for me, I see Texas Chainsaw Massacre's fingerprints on everything. And oh. I'm so excited to talk about it. Hands down. And, and, and Ken, this is such a, like, I love this franchise, but the strange part is that, strangely enough, the original Texas Chainsaw, I have never seen, I really had never seen in its entirety in one sitting. I'd seen chunks of it. And for some reason, I either got interrupted by something or the quality just, because right now, like, we have, the shutter has the best cut of it. It had like yeah. it, everything's remastered. The picture is amazing. As, as you said to me earlier, this is about as good as it's ever going to look. Yeah. Like um, the only thing you could do with this is manipulate it beyond what like, and make it something it wasn't originally, but it's, it's, yeah. this is as good as this movie looks period. Kind or of. Every time I think like I tried watching it on VHS at one point when I was younger and the quality was just terrible or the tape was bad or something like that. So Texas um, Chainsaw the- kind of falls under that last house on the left of it also kind of gets scarier the more like the, the as the quality dips, the reality level goes up. And as a result, the effectiveness, in my opinion, also increases. Um, I would say that like seeing this beautiful 4K like revived version is interesting. I kind of prefer it on DVD or VHS because it just, it feels so much more visceral, but I'm so glad for reference. If nothing else, we can see it in its, in its entirety, in its originality. It's, it's, it's what I'm, what I'm upset about when I can't get the original star Wars in its original cut. I want to see the mat lines. I want to see the film grain. I want to see what 1977 star Wars looked like. And I get a chance here to see what this movie looked like in 1974 off of an A print struck from the negative and shown like on its best night. This mm-hmm. is as close as you are going to get to understanding what it was like to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre at its premiere. Yeah. Like, oh, it slaps so hard. It's oh, it slaps so, so hard. And on the, top of it, but the audio like, is also better. It, yeah, I like, mean the the photography is actually really good. There is a um like unlike uh, Last House on the Left, the the photography in this um the like so, sort of cinema verite documentary style is beautiful in the traditional kind of European documentary way in which that it uses natural light, it uses snap zooms, it uses every single trick in the book in order to to tell you the story that's happening in front of you where something like yeah last house um is very it's very it's much closer to something like texas or sorry uh much closer to something like blair witch project where like the whole point is it looks like they drug this film out of like out of the desert somewhere in a can that was kind of half developed well and, and that's and that was sort of the appeal of it and that's like both texas chainsaw and the blair witch have the same marketing campaign pretty much in the sense oh, that like, they, they got people to the theaters by lying to them and saying that this was based off a true story where the most that this is based off of is that this film is re- like loosely based off of two serial killers. One primarily being Ed Gein, who as yeah. we know, like 
you know, war, like he only killed like two people, I think, but then like robbed graves and wore people's skin. And it was, yes, like that was loosely based off of that. And that's kind of like, well, we didn't really lie to you, but this didn't actually tell you the truth. Yeah. Yeah. He also didn't tell you the truth, but that's, that's why people eventually went like, that's why people were going to see a matinee of this film when it first came out. Well, like this was like, so, so sorry, everyone. I'm almost 40. That makes me very old. And um, this, this movie had a reputation. Like this was the movie your older brother showed you or your older brother told you about when you were like eight and then you waited with bated breath till 14 when you finally got a chance to see it. It was yeah. like, bro, no, oh, man. Like, Whereas my, my first memories of Texas Chainsaw, strangely enough, because, and I'll, we'll, we'll talk more about the sequels as we kind of get maybe halfway through this episode because I want to I wanna take a large chunk of this and really dive into the actual film itself. Yes. The G film, but I was first introduced to Texas Chainsaw just because I, at the video, every time I went to the video store, I always went into the horror section because they had the best cover art. Oh, And there was always all of the Texas Chainsaw movies. And I'm just like not being a kid and not knowing really where to start. I just kind of like, well, which one had the like the grooviest looking cover? And and then sure enough, Next Generation, in my opinion, had more, like had more color to it. It kind of just grabbed my attention more. Had movie stars on it. <laughs> yeah, had movie stars. I mean, Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger before they got real big. Um, I think Matthew McConaughey was just out of acting school at this point when he took this role and the same like with maybe days and confused is out maybe yeah maybe but that was the first film i saw and i do because it is a comedy that sequel is by far a comedy and i remember my stepmother was very concerned because there is a point where leatherface is taking by far what has to be the dumbest woman ever written for the screen and is struggling with a 90, like this giant man is struggling with a 90 pound woman who is screaming her head off, just trying to get her into the house and then puts her into the freezer, but doesn't think to like keep it shut. And she just keeps popping out screaming. And he just keeps like, he, he seems genuinely frustrated that she's just not staying put. And then finally he takes this giant generator just goes, fuck you. <laughs> and I laughed at that all while the screaming of this woman is going on. And my stepmother heard that from like the other room and was very concerned about how I was maturing as a child. And it's just like, why does he find this, this thing that he's watching slash listening to so funny? Do we need to take him to a therapist? But I just recognized this for what it was. I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. And I'm here for like every second of it. I mean, the, like, bl- that- the black comedy element is 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 rife through for sure all of the originals and its sequels you can get into uh the marcus nispel movies and their sequels and whether and how much of that comedy element is retained i would i would argue that there's a small amount of black comedy that the remakes kind of keep up but it's i mean like the the original ones are or like are, are full on kind of funny in some spots. Like the thing that I always think about is the scene in the original uh, 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where they're trying to get grandpa to kill Marilyn Burns. And like, he just can't keep the hammer up. And like, 
they just keep dropping it and being like, come on, grandpa, you can do it. And he just kind of like keeps glancing at, like, and every time he just glances across her skull with a hammer, you're like, oh, come on, just please just come on. This is kind of funny, but also please just kill this lady or let her go. And, and then, yeah. And then you definitely see Toby Hooper in two kind of take the comedy to an entirely different level. And oh, two is so different. Oh, it's wildly different. And people will argue whether or not it's successful, um, but it's one, it is a great example of a director um, deciding there are elements. Uh, so, all right, here's, here's what I think of. Um, in Die Hard, there was an interview with Bruce Willis and they asked Bruce Willis why Die Hard was so popular. And he goes, you know, I think really uh, people like seeing a guy from Jersey cracking wise. And okay, Bruce. He's Bruce Willis, and he has the ego the size of a grapefruit. I mean, yes. I but I would also be like, you know, that's not what my favorite part of Die Hard is. And if that's what you think is important, Bruce, you can think that. I don't think you're right that that's why people like to watch Die Hard every Christmas. I'm feeling it. <laughs> maybe what you got out time. of it, but you believe. Whatever you want to believe, Bruce, you know, you, 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 you know, you, you enjoy your Seagram's commercials. Uh, you enjoy your, uh, the return of the Bruno. You've made excellent choices your entire life. <laughs> now, David, um, I think it's important that we walk the people through your Texas chainsaw journey because it is wild. You have already mentioned that you had not seen the OG version in its com- like completion. But yeah, like, like I watched it, it had been ages since I even watched parts of it. And like, yeah, you got, you there was got so much that I was unfamiliar with. Yeah. You got this franchise by the back legs and let it run around and drag you all over the place. So yeah, like, like, like you catch the, catch the viewers up on yeah. what well, order you did this. Well, this, this is, this, this, the, my relationship with this is almost similar to the way that my relationship is with Dr. Who. Okay. Where I don't know if you remember that Ben Moy, who did the, uh, who we we've mentioned on this podcast a couple of times, is doing the score um, for the opening title for our, our podcast. Uh, which check out his his podcast hooked on score whenever you get a chance. But he he decided to show me Doctor Who instead of you know from the beginning like one should. He he decided to show me starting with Matt Smith. And he literally just started me on the Matt Smith season, completely out of context of everything. And I could not have been more confused and disinterested. Yeah. However, the difference with this one was I was very interested in this because nothing in any of these sequels matches up. It's all its own thing trying to be some variation of the first one. They're either trying to remake it, redcon it, or continue it. Yeah. And they, they never seem to get it completely right. So the studios keep constantly wanting to come back and trying again. And so but, because but, but of where that, did Leatherface get the leather face from? Ooh, but what brand of chains from someone's wow. face? Yeah, you're like, no, no, these are not any of the like that's like saying why are like, we overthinking this? Yeah, you you know, do you know what brand Freddy Krueger's sweater is? No, and I don't shut up. Like, I don't care where Han Solo got his dice from. Get a job. Like, what Robert Anglin's like walking through the mall and he sees that sweater and somehow he has a connection with it. And you're like, I don't care about yeah. where the things I love come from. Mm-hmm. What was 
what was it? Uh, Pat Oswalt. Like, well. Hey, hey, do you, like, do you like Angelina Jolie? She 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 make it real hard. It's like, well, here's John Voight's scrotum ballsack. Yep, you're not wrong. Um, but it, like, yeah, I I've seen, and I took a deep dive with this. Like, once we once this one, and I knew this was gonna be the one we were covering. Ken, I I I dove deep. Like I, I watched this one first. I watched the OG and then I watched, um, I'd seen two recently. So I didn't feel the need to rewatch that one. But then I watched Texas Chainsaw, Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw 3. I watched Next Generation. And then I, I've seen the Michael Bay produced remake so many times because I do love that film. Um, whatever unpopular opinion that might be to some folks. I still think it's really good. And I've seen I would the argue beginning. it's maybe it's probably the best of the platinum dunes remakes. Yeah. Like it is. Yeah. I like, now here's the thing. I also like the last one I watched and before I, we, we started settling in and getting ready to record today was the 2013 Texas chainsaw. The one that's supposed to, that was shot in 3d. Yes. The so one without can, the, the, yeah, exactly. Um, surprisingly, I had fun with it towards the end. It loses it's, it goes a little off rails and some things that get a little rushed, but up leading up till then I had a fun time. Uh, I, it, I, I would argue that of all of the Texas chain, like none of the Texas chainsaw massacre movies are perfect. I would say the first one is the closest thing to a borderline masterpiece. There are, there are there are flourishes and moments in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. that I would put up there with the best of any horror directors out there. That said, like just just in the opening minutes, like I think the like the opening shots of the corpse are masterful. That slow zoom out, the weird position it's in, the way that you know the the, the radio that's talking, and then we cut to like the side of the road, and I would argue that scene is way over covered too many shots too many snap zooms too many there's just like too much kind of going on and then we cut back to what's going on in the cemetery and we have that incredible shot where you have the the drunkard upside down like laughing and kind of talking about what's happening yeah and that's incredible well it, it, then- it, it, it introduces you to the world that the crazies live in and so when you finally come across them, they don't seem nearly so out of place as they might in the other sequels. Like yeah, in Next yeah, Generation, in Next Generation, they go from a high school prom to, oh, we're in the fucking Hicks where there's a bunch of chainsaw-wielding murderers and a guy with a mechanical leg. Comes out of fucking nowhere. Whereas this one, like, not only is it really good at making things terrifying in the daylight, which is a very rare quality that you see in a horror film, it's it's the, the idea that you're never safe no matter what time of day it is. You see a lot of horror movie. There's a great analysis I watched where it's like you see most horror movies use daylight as a way to tell the audience member that they are safe. And sometimes they'll play with that. But when most of the film takes place during the daytime, you have no idea what the fuck's going to happen. And they, Toby Hooper does a really good job of playing that up. And... It's just like the boy, like the first uh, one of the first characters gets killed right off the bat, just stumbling into a room and out of nowhere, he's dead. One of the other guys wanders in, finds the woman in the fridge and has a brutal hammering to the head out of nowhere. It just seems like, oh, no, this is all causality. 
Well, and like, well, and also let's point out, like, I know, I know it feels like that, like that Kirk's death, the first death happens right away, but it happens 35 minutes into the movie. No, he's been in there for a while. Yeah, no, I mean, like, it's a much slower burn movie than people give it credit for. People act like Texas Chainsaw kind of happens right out of the gate. And no, it's a little weird at first. And like everything that happens with the hitchhiker and uh, I mean, like all of that buildup definitely creates a lot of tension. But like that first death doesn't happen for 35 minutes into a movie that is an hour and 25 minutes long. Yeah. You know, so that's like a third of the movie is, is, is over before before anyone dies and then let's be clear lots of people die pretty quick after that like once that first death happens it's a real like yeah lots of people dying but it doesn't happen like it was one of those it was one of those things that i remembered the same way i remembered it being faster out of the gate and then i found myself being like oh wow no actually well because like because you know i mean it's not alien which is a total slow burn but it's a much slower burn than people give it credit for yeah. And, and I think also, too, like when I first saw this when I was younger, when you're a kid, you, you kind of want to, well, get to the scary stuff, get to the get to the action. Let's start things going like you don't. At least me as a kid, especially with just terrible, terrible ADD, the more dialogue there was, the more I'm just like, uh, pause. What else is there to do? Um, but now as an adult, like watching this and having the full audio and video quality that Shutter allows it to have. Um it's there's a lot of things that I caught in this in the in context of why they were there and who was who to 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 which people and it did like I felt more connected with these characters getting to finally watch from beginning to end and leaving having a far better appreciation for it than I did before and then going into the other films into the sequels and reading about all the weird shit into how these got made and what went wrong and what they were trying to do is fascinating. And how there's like either a co-writer or a co-director or like some person who worked on the crew has always in some way, shape or form been involved with one of the sequels. It all at least has its roots back to the original. And it's, it, it's, it's miraculous. Like it, it's such a, I will say when people look into the making of this film, I do think it, it, it gets a bit of a rap for sort of the, the routes that Toby Hooper went to make it for the budget that he did, which was, I think, like 300, I think uh, eventually 300. They were saying that it got made somewhere around like night from somewhere between 96,000 to 300,000. Um, it depends like on which and it, it depends on what you're looking at, whether you're looking at adjusted for inflation or not. But what is that, that happened is it made like a hundred and fifty million dollars on a budget of less than half a million. Oh, which, so yeah, one of the highest grossing films of like God, what was it like 1974? Yeah, 74 is the I, original one. Yeah, it was like one of the highest grossing films of that year. This this horror film that some countries would not allow to air because it was too brutal despite the fact that there's little to no blood or cursing or nudity. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a lot like Halloween in the fact that like what is implied is way more brutal than what you actually see. But I mean, yeah, I mean, some of the only blood in this movie is the very, 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 very,
and you see one of the few well. people that actually get hurt by a chainsaw yeah outside of um well being seen like and being seen explicitly yeah you know and or and then you're like well does it count as hurting a person to cut them up when they're dead well no <laughs> it doesn't hurt them at the time but seems bad you know seems bad seems problematic would would personally not like that happened to me um david quick question a little piece of trivia for you do you know who does the voiceover at the very beginning of the texas chainsaw Massacre? oh yes i do i didn't know when i first started watching it and when i learned who it was i was genuinely surprised i'm like oh oh yeah. you guys got a name for this yeah and i John love, I love the price that he did it for yeah i mean just one of those interesting things where you know it like i don't th- i don't think john larroquette's career happened because of texas chainsaw massacre but it is pretty interesting that just the guy who did the voiceover actually ended up kind of going on to become a big deal that's just yeah do do you you know what what he got paid for doing it oh no he got paid a six pack and a gram of weed (laughs) that's great (laughs) Uh, i was just listening to it i was just reading an interview um with it was uh, who uh, it was the lead singer for the Mamas and the Papas, and she was talking about one of the weirdest experiences she had was going to go see Star Wars, and then Harrison Ford shows up on screen, and she goes, "Oh my God, that's my pot dealer!" What? <laughs> right? How great is that? Oh my God! She's like, I didn't yeah. even know he was an actor. <laughs> Well, because yeah, he was mostly a carpenter at the time. Yeah, too. no, like, hundred percent. Yeah, no, he was he, in. He uh, was, yeah, he was going to yeah, skip the in. audition because, like, he thought, like, I'm wasting my time. I could make more money just building a dresser for somebody right now. <laughs> yeah, 100%. just a commissioned dresser. I can make more money than I could on Star Wars. And thank fucking God, he fought that urge to skip the audition. Exactly. Like, oh, I, I love. I this is the one thing that I do love about filmmaking and films in general is just the serendipity of a lot of this. And there's so many big names in this business that at some point we're nobody or close to nobody. And then someday, and, and then, yeah. And then suddenly we're an overnight success. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. I wish it would happen to me, but now, all right. So let's see here. Um, a couple of things I want to mention a, um, there is, uh, there's something about this movie that to me is like, pure texas like from the sweat from the way that like even in the opening voiceover like with what like said out the voiceover in the like radio announcements they're immediately like well this couldn't have been anybody from texas clearly this was outside elements and you're like no no no, no. this is you know the call te- is coming texas from inside is, the house texas is here is the problem yeah. texas um, is just middle florida yeah i mean you're not wrong sorry texas except not sorry um now also i would say um, the thing that this movie does, and tell me if you think that I'm wrong, the thing that I think that Texas Chainsaw Massacre achieves more than like than in almost any other horror films, it's 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 the vibes of this movie. It's the it's the texture, it's it's the energy. There's so much of this movie that's kind of weird, especially at the beginning, that slowly starts to kind of come together like not to get too crazy i kind of think of fellini in the way that like he would make movies where you would have two or three disparate storylines that all kind of merge together by the very very end like three strands of rope that you don't quite understand how they're going to come together and at the very very end they kind of very quickly spiral together and 
And that's what you get with this because like there are so many tropes and cliches and things that have become what just happens in horror movies now that you don't expect them to come back together. Like when they stop at the barbecue place, normally that's just a scene about like, oh, don't you go around the old Jenkins place? Oh yeah, the teenagers went up there. They didn't come back, you see. Normally that character doesn't come back, come back. in Act yeah. 3. But in this one, everything that's kind of set up and just kind of puts you on the back your back foot, uh, everything that happens with the hitchhiker, everything that happens at the barbecue shop, ends up becoming part of the story later on. Much like a good butcher, Texas Chainsaw Massacre leaves no piece of like the carcass unused. Every single thing that comes up in this movie gets used in this movie. Well, even the hitchhiker makes use of that trope in the sense of when he talks about brain cheese. Oh, he's got the like my the the line Which that was I what was almost, supposed to be called right. Wasn't Texas Chainsaw? It was supposed to be either called Leatherface or Brain Cheese. Uh, head Cheese was head, the first sorry, title. Sorry, not Brain Cheese. Head yeah, cheese, and then sorry. Leatherface, and then finally they came to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But there is a line in this movie that I think best describes Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is you probably would like it if you didn't know what was in it. And that I think is a great description because Texas Chainsaw Massacre is an all-time banger. A lot of times when you try to explain it to people, they're like, I don't know if I'd like that. And you're like, I, I'm telling you, this movie rules. Mm-hmm. Now, and you're going to think it's, it's going to be this kind of experience by its, uh, like, by its reputation. But in fact, the way that it's balanced out and the flavors that it gives you as a result are actually something much more enjoyable than what it appears like kind of just on paper. Yeah. And there's something to be said about this movie being a real slice of the seventies that, um, that I think someone going into watching this for the first time, not really understanding the essence of Texas Chainsaw and movies like that. They're like the idea when they, they go to pick up the hitchhiker, like, Oh, why would they do something like picking up the hitchhiker? I'm like, Dude, like it, was this, it, like, it was the 70s, man. Free love, everything like that. Like, people were just living dangerously. And, like, people felt safer around that time. And this this was around, like, this was after, like, this is around the time of Watergate, the Vietnam War, Charles Manson had just happened. And so, like, everyone's guard was down when all of this crazy fucked up shit in history took place. And I know for a fact that, Toby Hooper, who was originally somebody who did documentaries, um, he wanted to portray that sense of false security, all of a sudden being forced into reality. The, I, like, and a lot of this, this movie plays, it, it shoots like a documentary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it's, very, it's very voyeuristic. It's very, um, like everything just from looking at the piece of roadkill on the side of the road, which by the way, there's just such a fun story behind the armadillo that even um, Texas Chainsaw 3 kind of played homage to uh, where there's a dead armadillo in the road that two of the characters had to kill because they accidentally ran it over. Um, but apparently, I think it was Kim Henkel, one of the co-writers, or one at least one of the producers, um, he was tasked with finding Roadkill. It originally was supposed to be a dead dog, but he found a dead armadillo and he learned taxidermy. Yeah, so you're talking about Robert Burns, the production. Robert Burns, that's who I'm thinking of. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Sorry, like yeah, there, no. there are two names that we have to mention. So if we don't mention them, shame on us. And that is Robert Burns, the production designer, and yes. Daniel Pearl, the the cinematographer. I would argue that n- no, sh- like no shade thrown at Toby Hooper. 
I think that without Pearl and Burns, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like a footnote of a footnote of a movie. The yeah. creepiness of all of the furniture, the learning the taxidermy to just get that one shot with, uh, uh, yeah, with, with the armadillo, the, like the outfit that Leatherface wears, the, the, the documentary style, the number of times that I can tell Daniel Pearl was hurled into a position, like into a, a situation where they were just like, you have to shoot it. And he's like, okay, well, I don't have like half the things that I need to do this. And they were like, well, you got about 10 minutes, buddy. So we'll be back, figure, figure it out. Figure it and, out. And, and like every day, both of those dudes showed up, did the work and created the like a, a visual style yeah. and creepiness. Like I said, the vibes, this, like this movie is one of the only movies that I think is very easy to explain. It's got a smell. Like oh, there's it, just a certain thing about it that you're like, you, like you understand it's not coming out of the Blu-ray, but like it's there. You no, know, and you, 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 they, they do a great job of capturing the suffering of the cast and crew. Oh yeah. Of this film. Cause like every day they shot, it was like over a hundred degrees and like the, the actor, um, uh, the actor playing Leatherface. Gunnar uh, Hansen. Uh, Gunnar Hansen. Um, he was only allowed one costume. Yeah, and they, so he and the whole time they didn't wash it. They didn't wash it at they all. Couldn't. Because they only had the one, and they couldn't yeah, afford another yeah. one. And this they were isn't a, that if they yeah. washed. This isn't a didn't want it. to. This is a couldn't wash it. And then yeah, by like you know by the second week, everyone was like, "Well, I'm not sitting next to that guy. He's he he smells like a foot that we left outside for in a hundred degree heat in Texas." Because yeah, because that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, so much to the point where um, the lead actress, um, Marilyn Burns, playing yeah. Sally, who's the one who survives, um, by the end of that shoot, she talks about how she had been, she, by that she had been consistently covered in so much fake blood that it had just um, crystallized yeah. on her skin and clothes. And when she was on the back of the truck laughing hysterically, she did not have to fake a bit of that because that was the last day of shooting. And she was genuinely so ecstatic that she like would never have to return to that shoot ever again. And then later it broke her heart when they called her back for reshoots. And it, like, it, like she, there was, she felt genuine dread when they had to bring her back because there, there's a point in this film where they talked about how, there was a bit of the blood effect that wasn't working. And the only real blood that you actually see is when they, they literally cut her finger with a razor. And this wasn't, um, she allowed this to happen. Uh, I, for the longest time, I thought that this is something that the director just did on a whim without consent, which would have been really, really, really fucked up. Um, but she was so desperate just to finish. Yeah. She's like, just, just cut. Just it. cut me. Yeah. Just, just cut me Mac. I can't see. Just cut. Yeah, exactly. It's just like Rocky. And, and, and but yeah, that's the, and the actor uh, playing the old man, that's real blood. He's sucking right there. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like, feel free. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong about that, but I do think I remember hearing that, that he was really, yeah, he really had to, Oh, it, but it, once again, it's the 70s. We, we allowed for so much more uncalled for behavior that would get a shoot shut down in seconds. 
and that said, it's also for a movie in the seventies. Like it's very interestingly, like just, the, just including the character of Franklin being stuck in a wheelchair and them committing to that is, is, is like very, uh, is a very progressive idea of having someone who is disabled like that. And he's just presented as just another character. It's not like, he is not, he's not presented as the character who gets everybody into trouble or anything. I mean, he's not even the first to die. He's not even close. No, and, and uh, Franklin doesn't really go out to like the 15 minute mark. Like he's actually, I mean, like, like in, in the film, he's sort of portrayed as a bit whiny, but they don't portray him as mentally handicapped. He's just, Oh yeah. No, no. I mean, he's more, I, I think it's like his complaints are more like, Hey, don't like, don't go upstairs and have a good time. And everybody laughing upstairs without me. When I yeah. can barely get, you know, when I can barely get out of the car and I can barely push myself around, like this isn't fun for me. But yeah. like that's a very, I would assume, like, like I'm, I'm just someone who's not in a wheelchair. Like I've got to assume that that, like that is a real, like that would be a realistic and uh, a real thing that would be troubling if you were in a wheelchair. Is just those times when you like you can't just go exploring. You can't just be part of the group you always kind of have to be you know an outsider just, just oh yeah always the third wheel and and, and uh, that kind of makes me want to like let's touch on just leatherface i i like the fact that leatherface while yes he is this horrible serial killer he in almost every in every film i would say he is portrayed as almost kind of sympathetic you were supposed to be more sympathetic towards him to feel kind of sorry for him because like the original actor um had in in his head like no this is somebody who is an uh invalid like he he's uh, he's mentally handicapped yeah he's, he's just he, a big he was child. brought up in poverty and and constantly abused and so to to prepare for the role he went um, to a hospital and, and watched kids who were mentally disabled. And there was somebody, a doctor who like made an observation, like that is actually one of the most um, accurate reenactments of like how kids with that kind of disability might move or might tend to behave. He's a like, lot closer to something like Lenny from in mice and men where you're like, yeah, yes. no, the problem he's just, he's like a, he's like a kid who can just bench press a car. And that's, not such a good combination when they don't know how strong they yeah. are. And, and, yeah, and there's this, yeah, there's the scene where he um, like, yeah, when, when, when all, you know, when he's all freaked out because the kids keep showing up and he doesn't know where they're coming from. And he kind of like goes over by the window and kind of freaks out and cries. Yeah. He, he's and, but at the same time, like genuinely scared. He, yeah, and he doesn't overpower like, but then later on, like, it's clear that like with his un- uncle, right. Would be the, no, that Sometimes it's very hard to determine who's related yeah, to who. But, but like, it's... yeah, when his, his uncle's screaming at him, you know, oh, look what you did. You broke the door, you damn. And like, he's not, despite the fact that like Leatherface could crush that dude with his thumbs, he doesn't because it's clearly like there's a power structure and he's grown up with this and he's become normalized to this. So that's what he's going to put up with. But yeah, there is a, there's well, a fascinating uh, sympathy that you get with, Leatherface that you don't get with Michael Myers, that you don't get with Freddy Krueger, that with most of these characters, like most of these big horror icons, you get like a tickling, a smattering, just a little bit of sympathy. But like, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. No, no one here is saying that Leatherface is without fault. 
but we but what i am saying is is like let, let, like he's he's a much more uh you feel much i feel bad for leatherface i don't feel bad for freddy krueger if that makes no, sense no exactly like, yeah, well you should have gotten burned to death and I would say to each sequel's credit, they each do a very good job at betraying that kind of sympathy story. Even in Next Generation, when you first see Leatherface, he comes up behind the teenager who's like the, 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 the dumb blonde character. And he's just kind of watching her and just playing with her hair. He's like, what is this? What is this person? This person smells good. Like her hair is really soft. It has a George and the Rabbits kind of vibe to it. And then when she freaks out and screams, he's fucking scared. He's like, what's happening? I need to, I need to make this thing quiet now. And in the 2013 3D movie that they did, they really played up the sympathy for him in that eventually his whole family was killed off. And the only person that was left was like this grandmother who kind of just was the most higher functioning person in that family had money and was able to keep him hidden, but took care of him, treated him like a person, as much of a person as she knew how to, and was transferring the care of Leatherface over to the main character who didn't know any of this going into it. And eventually like the story closes with, well, we're family. Like, this is my cousin. Like I have to take care of him. He doesn't know any better. In, in a very, like, obviously not as well as, I think, for example, uh, Terry Gilliam would have been a great person to pick to film either a remake or a sequel to Texas Chainsaw, because I feel like that That'd fear of loading Las Vegas look, yeah, I think would translate really well to this franchise. That'd be very but, interesting. But I think like he would do really well at playing into that that level of this misunderstood character who is in many in most ways very abusive and violent, but observing it from the psyche of that person. And so, yeah, no. and I, yeah, right. and, and it, it, it explores the, the idea too of Leatherface when he wears a face, he is that person. And that also dives into a little bit of uh, cross-dressing and trans tropes that might not necessarily be portrayed in a healthy, non-offensive way to the community. But it was one of the first films to sort of tackle that concept. I mean, I would say that, uh, and 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 uh, listeners tell us if we're wrong, but like I would argue that the uh, like some of the aspects in this are probably more sympathetic than you'd see like in in uh, silence of the lambs like this is much more lightly kind of touched on and just mm -hmm. kind of part of the the, oh, the vibes for lack of a better term yeah. where like silence of the lambs is much more like look at this dirty per you know what i mean like there's 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 yeah. a much more demonization happening in silence of the lambs where this feels much more of like a, a side thing uh i would say by the way since we were speaking of Terry Gilliam and that kind of like wide angle cinematography. I actually would love to have seen Louis Isaacs, the cinematographer from the dentist be able to take on Texas Chainsaw. Yes. Because oh he's got God. that yes. kind of wide angle look already. I would think those two, those two people together would like, like him and Toby, I think would create some really interesting images, but yeah. Also next generation, I would argue his family, uh, Leatherface's family, is the most trans fam uh, like trans friendly family I have ever seen in a horror movie. Okay, 
Because they're literally just like, my brother needs a new face. He is tired of this identity. And now he wants this woman's face. So we are going to allow him. Literally just this, this, this like, they, they beat the crap out of him. But like, it's one of those things where it's just like, nah, they're perfectly fine with, with him doing his thing. And I'm like, that's, like, I was watching, like, this movie is strangely progressive, but also very offensive. I'm well, so I mean, confused. yes. Okay, yes. I think that's the duality there. Now, I actually haven't <laughs> seen that one. I have, I've seen pretty much everything in Texas Chainsaw. I did not realize Texas Chainsaw 3 Leatherface existed. I, for some reason, had just slotted in Next Generation into my brain as the OG3. But that's OG4. And then yeah. there's... The re- then there's four or five of the remakes. I think I've Ken, seen- are you are you okay with us diving into some of these sequels now? I mean, I go nuts, man. Like you, oh. you did, like you, David, you did more of the work here when it comes to the uh, the you know, the, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre cinematic universe. So oh. uh, take the audiences away and and tell them about uh, what to check out with uh, the outliers. Okay, so to understand this first, like you you, you kind of have to dive into the politics of distribution and production. And when this was first made, and Ken, I know you know about this, where um, this was done by the, the same distributors who distributed um, the, the very controversial film Deep Throat. Yeah. And the people who were distributing Deep Throat were part of the mob. And so what they were doing was they were funneling the profits for Texas Chainsaw to launder for the profits that they were making, that they were pocketing for Deep Throat. And eventually, like, like they had signed a contract. I can't, I can't remember the names of the people involved with this, but the producer, uh, but the directors and the production of the film, they signed a contract with them where they would get, um, I want to say like 80% of the profits pretty much. But because they had pocketed so much of this money, one of the, I think the cinematographer took home like a paycheck of just a little over $41. Oh, wow. And so nobody saw any money originally, even though this, mo- this movie was making buku bucks. And so eventually they sued and they won in court. And so distribution then, like they said, like, not only do you have to pay all these members of production at least $200,000 a piece. Hello, Lily. My dog's here. Um but also you have to release the rights to the film. And so that was when new line cinema came along and they bought the rights. Ah. And I believe then that was when Toby Hooper went and did two. And sorry, she wants to bump into the mic here. Um, Lily, go away. I love you. You're sweet. Um, and so he did two and then that happened and it did not get nearly as well received as the other one. And so finally then they started doing different variations of the script. And this is when Texas Chainsaw 3 came along with Viva Mortensen. And that one had been in like pre-production hell for the longest time. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the, oh gosh, who was the, because I, I think it was uh, Kim Henkel. No, Kim Henkel directed Next Generation. Um, but Kim Henkel, but, uh, they had somebody else directing uh, Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw 3, he was at one point fired. And they, they were originally going to get either Peter Jackson or they were going to get uh, Savini. Wow, okay. To direct, to direct the film, but both of them didn't want to do it. 
So they picked this one director, they, like who was apparently a bit difficult uh, with production. And so they fired him, but they couldn't find anyone else. And so they rehired him. And in this film, there is a character. Um, there is a character played by, what did I, what, which actor did I say was it that played him? Uh, wait, which, which actor did you mean? Kim? No, no, Kim Hankel's the director. Yeah, Kim Hankel. Sorry, for some reason it decided not to load the Texas Chainsaw thing on there. Uh, Texas Chainsaw. Do my. Which, which Texas Chainsaw are we talking about? There's like. Uh, uh, Leatherface 3. I know, like, they all have very similar titles. Yeah, well, yeah, like, and let's be clear to the people at home like, there is a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There yeah, is Leatherface, one, Texas yeah, Chainsaw Massacre tight, 3. Yeah. But there's face, also Leatherface. There's also a Texas Chainsaw 3D. There's also a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning. There's also Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. Like, it's keeping these oh, titles Ken, straight. Ken Foray. Ken, Ken Foray, uh, who played the character of Benny. At one point in the film, he is definitely killed slowly by a chainsaw in the head while he's fighting Leatherface. Like, Leatherface forces his head up against the chainsaw sitting in the water. He is definitely dead. But apparently his character tested well with uh with audience with test audiences oh dude's born in indianapolis god damn oh fucking a is that fellow hoosier um maybe i learned that at some other point yes i did yeah i did learn that he was from indianapolis <laughs> i think it was in a previous podcast i'd just forgotten that um but he tested well so the producers decided to bring him back and they filmed an alternate ending without the original director um wow. And so in doing this, like they, they not only filmed it without the original director, where he literally just shows up, saves the main character, and they ride off into the sunset. Um, they didn't tell the director that they had done this. And he did not find out until literally he saw the movie for the first time in theaters. Yikes. It is. That's got to be wild. Jeff Burr. Jeff Burr is the guy who directed this one. And, and so, yeah, this one wasn't well received, obviously. And this was apparently, they went to the ratings board over 11 times trying to get an R rating and it kept coming back X because it was so horribly gory. Like the amount that you see in this movie, it seems kind of meh the way you see it. But apparently there was so much fucked up shit in this movie that did not make it because each time it came back from the ratings board is rated X and they needed distribution. So then they moved on to the next generation, which um, Kim Henkel, the co-writer of the first one came back to direct. And he also wrote this one. And this one was supposed to be more of a retcon for the franchise. And he's like, this is the true sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And this was just a, there are some, this is one of those so bad it's good kind of movies. Um, if you guys can check out my stories before tomorrow, um, I'll, make, I'll maybe make a post as well on our little page so you can see some of it. Some of the acting just comes out of nowhere, makes no sense, horribly delivered, horribly written. I am surprised, but this is by one of the co-writers of the original one. Like, well, that's, yeah, that's, that is one of the surprising things is like there, there is a naturalism that Toby is able to get out of the actors in the first movie that most of the other actors 
don't. Like yeah. I would argue that one of the problems with the uh, the Marcus Nispel Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the the the, like, the Platinum Dunes remake, is everyone looks like an Amber Crombie and Fitch model. Like I don't believe, and like I don't believe there's any naturalism to that group. Everyone is just too gorgeous. Everyone is too much a type. Um, now that said, I will also say there is a really, really nice moment in the Nispel version that is not in the original. And I love that when uh, the first, like the, the character who's essentially Kirk in the remake, when Leather Oh yeah, the, the, uh, the wedding the, ring. Yes. And, and yes, you're when talk, like Leatherface finds that, it's a nice remake. little moment of kind of rem- like it gives Kirk's character a lot more nuance and background by just that little reveal, because in up until that point, he's been kind of like the, you know, a little bit of a party boy. Maybe you're not really sure if he's serious. And then that little moment just, you know, makes his character seem just a lot more real. Yeah. And this was also co-written by uh, the, the remake. Kim Henkel pretty much helped co-write all the Texas Chainsaw films all the way up until the 2017 one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Kim, Kim has been in the, in the background of, of the franchise, pushing it up the hill oh, almost more it. than anybody else. Yeah. Like I, I think he definitely, he definitely gets credit and I will, I, I like the, um, the Jessica Biel remake. Yeah, I no, really me like too. It. I, 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 saw it I think it's well shot. I, I beautifully shot really by also Daniel Pearl who shot the original. Like actually for any of our, uh, the, our viewers who uh, are interested in film school, like um, Daniel Pearl shooting the original and the remake are an excellent side-by-side evaluation of like what you can do with a budget and what you can do when you're doing a, a big stylish high-end production versus the original, which was much more of a cinema verite documentary style. Um, it's a much smaller movie. Um, and so if for nothing else, I think, Anyone interested in cinematography should watch just at least Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the remake just to see that, you know, what happens when a cinematographer uh, approaches the same project, but 20 years, you know, 20, 25 years apart in his career. Yeah. And what a performance from Lee Ernie as well, who played Sheriff Hoyt. He was one of my favorite things about the film. Oh, yeah. Um, He's great. Anytime I was more scared of him than I was of Leatherface. Oh, for sure. He's and he but he had some great comical lines like Mike, like his scene with Mike Vogel, uh, who plays Andy, the one who has put the gun in his mouth. It's a brilliant scene, mm-hmm. like a brilliant performance from both of those actors. And there's, there's just so much tension going on in that scene alone. Like I, a lot of people really shit on the remake and I don't understand why, because I think it's a well, a well done sequel that is, it's not the exact, like if you wanted to see the same thing, go watch the original. But this is just another interpretation of it while bringing in people from the original to give you a little something different. And, um, and it also, I would say, like, makes, like, the remake, I would say, makes a character out of the chainsaw kind of in a way that is not really there in the original. I think, I mean, obviously the original, the chainsaw is part of it, but, like, in the remake, kind of as soon as that chainsaw starts, it kind of never stops again. It becomes the shark in Jaws. It becomes just this constant, in, like, yeah, this, this constant intruding uh, element that just permeates the soundtrack and is either ramping up or down depending on where the terror is at. Yeah. 
yeah. And then so and then the last the last sequel that I saw, which was today, which was the, the 3D one. And that one, I actually I ended up enjoying a lot more than I expected to. Um, that is that is one of those films. That I, I liked the fact that they played more into being sympathetic towards Leatherface, that really Leatherface is also his own victim. Um it just kind of falls apart towards the end. And I think that's just the one unfortunate part of that production. But the interesting thing is too, like the very beginning, while it is not necessarily, it doesn't look cleanly shot, the production set of the beginning of it, they literally took the house from the original Texas Chainsaw because I think at that point it had been built into like a bed and breakfast. Yeah. So they couldn't shoot there anymore. So they recreated the whole fucking house. And when I say recreated, everything to a T. If there was a blood stain on the wall in the film itself, they recreated the blood, the blood stain down to the spot of blood on, the, like down to like a tiny blood spot on the wall. They, like the the saw door, they made sure that the saw, like the saw marks, were exactly what they were in the original film. They brought back a whole bunch of the original actors to play some of the remaining Sawyer family members. Um, the, and the idea was that there were more than just those members of the family and they were all held up in there and the, a, an angry mob came and burned the whole house down. But it was, it's really impressive just how well they recreated that whole set only to burn it down within like five to seven minutes of the, the film starting. And, and I do remember production saying it broke our heart that that was in the script that it had to burn down, but it was oh, so I mean, necessary to the plot. It's like finding out about the production of Independence Day and that like it was like one guy spent like eight months perfectly recreating the White House to blow up in like two quarters of a second. And yeah. it's just like, all right, and boom. Well, that's all the work I did for the year. Yeah, over that quick, it's great <laughs> slow mo, but in the moment, just over in a flash. Yeah, just kind of like like when we were talking about with uh, American Werewolf in, in London, doing all of that work, literally just to to shoot it for like five to ten minutes, and yeah. then it's done. Yeah, does it do anything else? Nope. Well, then we're but done. Technically, it's the image is still immortalized in film forever. And but yeah, no, it's like those those are the sequels, and it, it like I highly recommend that anybody who doesn't know sort of the ins and outs of how those sequels got made to definitely check them out because it is fascinating. There's so many little like bits of, of meat and protein that come with the, the, if you think like, Oh, this is a terrible movie. Like chances are the making of it is more fascinating. Oh, for sure. Uh, David, uh, we're coming up. Uh, we're, we're just about to hit an hour here. Um, oh, damn. Is there, I mean, is there anything else pressing? Any any names, any bits, uh, anything? Uh, the one thing I would mention, um, just for our listeners who might be familiar with my work, uh, with some of our work, or at least my work, uh, I stole from this movie endlessly for Clown Town. You can find multiple shots in Clown Town that I straight ripped just out of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So like that's, mm-hmm. I love this movie so much, I have used it in my own work extensively. I've got to I've got to watch Clown Town again. It's been age, it's been a couple of years now since I've seen it. And I know I saw um, Toy Box about like a year and a half ago. And goddamn, those are two good looking films. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, uh, hey Shutter, if you're looking for a good looking clown movie, 
maybe clown maybe, maybe consider clown town yeah also yeah guys if you're if you're making a film and you want your film to look nice hire this man hi because he's you. good at he's, he's he's if you want somebody who's good at, at his job and will do it for a good price yeah yeah for, for a i good make the price pictures look we'll, pretty yeah pay him well but he'll show you how to save money indeed yep um but well, yeah then, so yeah can can we're doing a little something different this season it's for, true for for how we're for how we're picking our movies oh for season two yeah no we we're, we're throwing everything up in the air we're doing things something completely new we are leaving what movie we're going to do up to you much like last week we are going to throw two up, movies. Up, up to me, Ken? Up to me? Oh, oh no, no, no. I'm talking to the viewers out there. Oh, they oh, are damn. going to get a chance to go to our Instagram page, use our stories, right? Because that's how we're doing the poll, because I'm old. Mm-hmm. I don't know how polls work on Instagram. And we're going to let you, the audience, choose what we, the watchers, are going to review next. Now, David, I have picked out a movie that I'm going to put up for you to review. Do you have a movie as well? I do. Let me turn back to my Amazon Prime screen. Excuse me. Because <laughs> I put them on, like, I put a list of them on must watch. I'm just like, which one am I going to pick? Now, personally, I am going to go for another all time classic because, A, I think we, sh- we, should, we should get some of the classics out of the way. And that's something that I think we can do uh, in season two a little bit more. But also, one I'm not sure if you've actually seen. So, David, what movie? Or do, do you have you fag- figured out which movie you have? I do. This one looks really fascinating. I, okay. I, this is one that I have not seen, but it looks creepy as fuck. All right, great. Um, I am choosing Night of the Living Dead, the original, 1968, George Romero. Oh, what are you're you going. choosing? Oh, damn! Mine's mine's not nearly as old as that one. Mine is actually a Shutter original, Ken. Um, mine is a uh, was made in 2020 and is called Caveat, or Caveat, if I if I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, so yeah, Caveat, a lone drifter suffering from partial memory loss, accepts a job to look after a psychologically troubled woman in an abandoned house on an isolated island. I watched the trailer and it looked creepy as fuck. And so you know what? I decided to risk it and uh, see how it looks. But yeah, let's. Uh, well, it doesn't. We don't even have to go back in time. We we kind of get to. We have to retire the time machine for. A uh, we don't need to retire the time machine. I think we just need to. Uh, the time machine probably just needs uh, a little time off, maybe a little tune up. Uh, you know, uh, 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 just a, I, an opportunity for it to. Uh, you know, we're gonna take it to the shop. We're gonna get the fluids changed out. Uh, we're gonna get things overhauled. Maybe spinning new rooms on it. You know, and then uh, yeah, we'll see. But. Uh, yeah, other than that, then then David, what you got some pluggables you want to plug? Uh, yes, guys, you can find our poll uh, over at shutter underscore show on Instagram. So keep an eye on that. Uh, I'm going to be putting that up on the story. And once it's expired, uh, then I will let you know which one won out. And then you can find out everything that we've got going on and uh, stay updated. You can also find me at uh, underscore DW Marlowe on Instagram where... Uh, yeah, I get up to my regular musings in my regular everyday boring life. Ken, what about you? What do you got? 
Uh, let's see here. You can find me on Twitter at Ken Stacknick and on Instagram, same K-E-N-S-T-A-C-H-N-I-K. You can find my dog at Freddie Potatoes. Uh, that's a Freddie with an I-E on both Instagram and Twitter as well. You can find us, the podcast, on Twitter at Shutter Show. You can email us, shuttershow at gmail.com. And other than that, that's all we got for this week. Ladies and gentlemen, have a good night. Good luck. And most importantly, go fuck yourselves. Night, everybody. We love you.